All right, this is the culmination of our lessons on maturing in Christ and maturing in the kingdom of God. And uh, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind journey. Carol, is this yours? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's been a whirlwind journey. We began this journey with faith, and we've gone through a number of, of different topics, and we have grown uh, our our motto here is grow, gather, go. And we've talked about things that we can do to, as we gather together and as we have grown uh, to share those things with other people. So one of the things I think that's uh, really important as, uh, as we look at and as our church has re-evaluated re discipleship, and it probably hasn't come out quite enough, Jesus says in Matthew, he says, Go into all the world and make disciples. But, but we're getting an English version of that. Okay? The Greek version of that is as you are going into the world. So, I, I, you know, I grew up in western Kentucky with an outhouse and a very homogeneous community around me, ethnically. Uh, you know, as I'm going into the world, I, you know, I, I, I was in the Army for a while, and, and I went uh, and worked over near Oak Ridge for a while, and now I'm in Murfreesboro for the last, uh, basically, almost 30 years. As I am going, that is to say, the people that I encounter on a daily basis, the people you encounter in class or at work, okay? the people that are in your family, those are the people we're supposed to be making disciples of. And we need to begin, as we looked at last week, we really have to begin disciple making with being disciples, which means that we have to do what Jesus said, which is fall upon that cross and allow ourselves to die with Jesus, to be crucified. That's what that's what our baptism was all about, a death to self. So uh, today we're culminating this series in rest, and I think it's appropriate, not just for finals week, for those of you that are coming up on that, but even for, for all of us, we've just left Thanksgiving holiday, we got Christmas holiday, and they're supposed to be joyous times, but for a lot of people, they're very stressful times. I may be the exception to the rule, but I've seen families that have a lot of stress at the holidays. Everybody gets together, they're in a tight, compartmentalized kind of thing, and sometimes we, uh, sometimes we get on each other's nerves. Uh, Sean, I've learned a trick, and, and that is, we never spend more than about three days with the rest of the family. That's about all they can take of us, okay? And maybe all we can take of them. Uh, so we, we do occasionally go on some extended vacations, but discovering to rest is really a key component in our spiritual walk. And uh, Jesus sought rest as a human being. And I think that it's important to distinguish between a worldly point of view and a godly point of view. When we see the world, we see stuff like the, the mythology from the Greeks and how the, the God punished people like Atlas for his rebellion. Okay? And when we see, and we're going to examine some scriptures today that talk about 
the difference. I just need you to contrast that with the difference of what we see in the Bible. Yes, God has punishments for sin, but God provides rest for us in spite of the fact that we have rebelled against Him. And so, uh, somebody read for us John chapter 6 here, these verses. Then they ask, what must we do, uh, what must we do to do the works God requires? Stop. Do you hear that? What must we do to do the works that God requires? What do we need to do to make God happy? Okay? What do we need to have peace with God? What does God require of me? By the way, that's what they ask on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches to them and says, y'all crucified God's son. And they said, you're right, we're guilty. What do we do? This is a common thing. You know, I mean, your crops fail, your family's starving, you realize the world's against you, and you ask the gods. If you're a pagan, you ask the gods, what do I do to appease you? This is a human reaction, okay? Let's hear the Bible's response to that. Keep going, Liv. Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Whoa, that wasn't what I expected. I thought I was going to have to, like, get my firstborn son or something like that. Make some huge sacrifice. Uh, you know, carry the weight of the heavens on my shoulders, like Atlas. Or have these Herculean tasks, like Hercules. Okay? Uh, I thought I was going to have to do these huge things to appease God. But look what he says. What's he say? Right there. To believe. To trust. That's the word he's using here. Trust in God. God's got this covered. Okay? And we're going to see how that's spelled out in the scripture over and over again. Okay? So, uh, and sometimes you just need a little bit of time to absorb some of the graphics. Okay? Uh, okay, so Exodus chapter 6. Let's hear what he says to the Israelites. I am the Lord. I'll bring you out from Egyptian forced labor. I'll rescue you from your slavery. I will set you free with great power and with momentous events of justice. I'll take you as my people and I'll be your God. You will know that I am your God who has freed you from bondage. Yes. See, it's our trust in Jesus. And we talked about that in Romans chapter 6. He says, you can count on it. Jesus has freed you. Recount what God has done in your life. Make sure that you're thinking about all of those things that you've done that were in rebellion to God, and yet God has blessed you in spite of those things. God has treated you as his child that's made mistakes. Even when you said no to God, even when you said no to His grace, God patiently worked with you to bring you back in. And He's willing to work with the people that you disciple. Okay? To lead them out of their bondage, to free them from their bondage, their bondage to the fleshly nature. Okay? Uh, I used a different font here. I thought it was creative on anxiety. Okay. This is as creative as I get, probably. Okay? So, somebody read for this, this these, uh, uh, these, both of these verses. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Give your worries to the Lord and he will care for you. He will not let those who are good be defeated. Yeah. 
And I see anxiety. I see anxiety in people around me all the time. I see them so anxious. My mother's an anxious person. I love her. I love her to death. She thinks worry is a spiritual gift. Okay? It is not. Jesus says you don't have to worry. I got this. Okay? As many of these verses today are going to show us. I've got this. As my mother-in-law said this past weekend, she's got bird feeders out, and she watches the birds out her windows, some real nice windows, and, and the bird feeders are just outside. It. She's just watching these birds come and go, and she says, not a single one of them falls to the ground except for God knowing it. God knows every one of those birds. And doesn't he care so much more for us? I mean, that's Jesus talking right there through my mother-in-law. Okay? That's Jesus talking. He says, I love you so much. Okay? So, I know the hairs on your head. Okay? For some of us, it's fewer than others. Okay? So, give your worries to the Lord. The things that you're worried about, the things you're anxious about, the things you're really concerned about, okay? give them to the Lord. It doesn't mean that you won't have concerns. It just means that you don't have to worry about it. It's not going to eat you up inside. Because that's what a lot of us do. He will care for you. He won't let those who are good be defeated. When we worry about things, it's because we're trusting in ourselves mm -hmm. rather than trusting in God. Okay? I mean, that's... Uh, my wife and I were talking about my mother. She's, she's had some mini strokes this week. So I, put, I should have put that on a prayer request. I'm sorry. So uh, she's had some mini strokes this week. Uh, you know, and Cheryl says, uh, can we get a list of people that she could call? I said, oh, yeah, we could get a list. But she won't call them. Mm -hmm. She won't call them and ask for help. Okay? She'd rather worry about it. She won't let it go. She won't entrust herself to somebody else. Oh, I'm strong. That's pride, folks. That's pride. And that's what we do so many times with our sins. That's what we do with our burdens. So we've got to learn to rest. So, Psalms and Galatians, okay? The Lord of the Rings lover here. We bear each other's burdens. We bear each other's burdens. And just like Sam says to Frodo, if I can't carry the burden for you, I will carry you. Sometimes we need each other to carry us. I need you to carry me sometimes. You need me to carry you sometimes. This is an important concept as a community of believers. That none of us has the strength to do it alone. But God has given us the strength to do it together. Somebody read these verses for us. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Every day he helps us with the loads we must carry. He is the God who saves us. Help each other with your troubles. When you do this, you are obeying the law of Christ. Obeying the law of Christ. Did you hear that? You're obeying the law of Christ. Jesus commands. He doesn't give us an option here. Bear each other's burdens if you want to. Bear each other's burdens if it's convenient for you. Bear each other's burdens if the other person comes to you and voluntarily says, I'm being smushed underneath this load. No. Smushed the word? Yeah, okay. Smushed? Oh, sorry. That sounds Yiddish. Smushed. Okay, anyway. Um, 
So, uh, you know, Jesus tells us we need, that we must, he tells us, bear each other's burdens. Okay? First John chapter 5. I love the, uh, if, you've got, if you've got some time this holiday, read the book of 1 John. It just talks about love and our interaction with each other, and it really highlights all of these points that we've been making throughout this whole series. So, somebody read for us uh, 1 John chapter 5 here in these first five verses. Those who believe that Jesus is the Messiah are God's children. Anyone who loves the Father also loves his children. How do we know that we love God's children? We know because we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means obeying his commands. And God's commands are not too hard for us, because everyone who is a child of God has the power to win against the world. It is our faith that has won the victory against the world. So who wins against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I love that part about obey his commands. You know, I mean, I was taught, you know, stuff like, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go out with girls that do. Right? Um, something like that. Uh, you know, a list of don'ts. Okay? I mean, were some, did y'all, some of y'all grow up in families or churches where you had a list of don'ts? Yeah? Okay? And obedience was a big thing. Oh, yeah, you are disobeying this little portion of Scripture here that we've interpreted as a command, uh, which usually aren't even commands a lot of times, or they're commands that are maybe taken out of context for protective measures. We want to protect our children. We want to protect our church members. So sometimes we think we're knowing right. But look at what he says it means to obey the commands of God. What does it mean? What do these verses say? Love God and love others. That's it. Didn't somebody important say that one time? I think Jesus said that, didn't he? The whole thing can be summed up into those two commands. Love God and love each other. We don't love, in our culture, we separate from each other way too much. We compartmentalize way too much. We don't share our burdens with each other. Okay? Look at this. He says, everyone who's a child of God has the power to win against the world. You've got the power. I feel overwhelmed sometimes. You feel overwhelmed sometimes. I know people... I know people who are struggling with same-sex same attractions. And they're just like, God's against me. He's made me with this attraction for this other person. Guess what? It says right here, God. God has given you the power to win against the struggles that you've got. Whatever those struggles are, God has given you the power. I remember going to a youth rally when I was a teenager. And this guy got up and he said... He was on a double date, and he got in, and the other guy was driving, and he had his girlfriend, so he was the last one to be picked up. And he said, as soon as I got in the back seat with the girl, she was like all over me, kissing me and hugging me. And he said, I, you know, this is a weakness of mine, and I knew I needed to be out of this situation. And he said, you know, we're driving down the street, and we're going somewhere, and he said, I thought... With every way, every temptation, God has provided a way for me to escape. 
And he said, we pulled up at a stop sign. And the guy stopped. And he said, I just got out of the door. I just opened the door, got out of the car, went through a drugstore, down an alley, got a taxi, and went home. God provided a way of escape for him, didn't he? Most of us are not willing to take the way of escape. Most of us are willing to sit there in the seat and say, Ooh, this temptation is good for me. I like this. Okay? Most of us are not willing to take, you know, to do what God has given us the power to win with. Okay? He's given us tools. Uh, who wins against the world? Only those who believe. There's again that faith in Jesus. I don't have the strength. I do not have the strength to win against Satan. I don't have the strength to win against myself. I mean, that's what Adam and Eve were struggling with. It's not that Satan exerted some huge power over them. He said a few tricky words and they were deceived. Self-deceived. Right? Okay? This is most of us right here in this picture. We are overloaded. And we're just, our feet are just going nowhere. Nowhere. Because we've overloaded ourselves, haven't we? What does Jesus say? Somebody read Matthew 4 here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me, says the man who went to the cross. Learn from me, says the man whose friends deserted him. Learn from me. As I trust in God, Jesus says. Learn from me. Because I'm gentle and humble. My heart is pure. My heart is right with God. You're going to find rest for your souls when you imitate Jesus. Rest for your souls. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Okay? We're trying, we're trying to carry burdens that we don't need to be carrying. Okay? I love this passage. If you if you take nothing away from today other than this passage, you need to write down Hebrews chapter 4. Because God has a rest planned for you. Okay? God wants you to rest. Somebody read these verses. This is about three slides. So, uh, so I'll, somebody read this slide, and somebody else will read the next and the next. Okay. Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be They didn't share what? In the same faith. In the same faith. Faith. Trust. Okay? They didn't trust in God. They trusted in themselves. They trusted in their culture. They trusted in their strength. They trusted in their own ability to do good things and to resist bad things or harmful things. That's what they did. Okay? It, the message they heard was of no value to them. They led lives of anxiousness, always on pins and needles. How do I appease God and appease God's anger about the bad things I did? I slipped up today. Oh, 
I'm out of favor with God. Guess what? I'll slip up today, and I'm not out of favor with God, even when I slip up, even when I mess up, even when I sin. Why? Because I have trust in God who says he's got that taken care of. Okay? Keep going. Somebody else. Therefore, since the store remains for some time without rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set us a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke to David in the passage already quoted. Today, hear his voice. God pardoned him. <coughs> today, today, I, I want you to hear the immediacy of this. Don't start resting. I, you know, in, in, in Tunis, somebody asked me earlier. Uh, out in the hall, they asked me how many uh, how many more years I was going to teach. Two and a half more years, okay, and, and a few weeks. Um, who's counting, right? Um, you know, two and a half more years. Uh, I'm resting every day. I'm not waiting until I retire to rest. Okay? My dad says they plan his funeral for the afternoon because he'll have to work that morning. <laughs> okay. So, uh, you know, he, he's like, work, 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 that's what, you know, and, and his dad worked as, until they put him in the nursing home, okay? And that's kind of the way my dad's mentality is, and my mentality is, I cannot work hard enough to prove my worth to God. God has already valued me and already sees my worth. My worth is because of Jesus and Jesus' spirit within me. That's what that's the basis of my work not what I do so I can relax a little bit some of y'all are so stinking up tight you know I mean it's just crazy uh, okay let's hear about Joshua what for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken later about another day there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their own works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of there's a lot to unpack there. First of all, Joshua, we're talking about uh, Moses leading them all the way up to the edge of the promised land, but it's Joshua's turn to go in and conquer the, the promised land. Keep in mind what he's saying here is it's not that Joshua gave them a rest when they entered the promised land. It wasn't that everything was all, you know, peaches and cream. It was all so, you know, rose-colored glasses and some uh, utopian society now that they're in the promised land. That's the way a lot of us view baptism, by the way. Oh, once I'm baptized, once I'm a Christian, we even promote it that way sometimes. God's washed away all your sins. Yes, but we've already talked about in the past few weeks how God has not removed all of your sinful habits, all of your sinful thinking. All the, there is a lifetime that God is taking care of that. That's a maturity process that God takes us through. It is a journey, folks. So I need you to know that from, from you know, your age. I didn't know that. And I was so convicted by the guilt of my sin after I was baptized, after I was a Christian. And I just kept, you know, in, I kept feeling like I was in and out of favor with God. And what, what the Bible says over and over and over again is, no, no, you're God's child. You are in his favor. Did he know you were going to mess up? Yes. 
Does he want you to not mess up? Yes. Does he want you to live in freedom from those habits, those hang-ups, those sins, and from those sinful choices? Yeah. Yeah, he wants you to live in freedom. Okay? Look at what he says here. Anyone who enters God's rest rests from their own works. Rest from their own just what's he referring to just as God did from his what's that creation he's talking about the seventh day of creation isn't he okay God rested from his work God worked the first day second day third seventh day God rested from his works okay look at Jesus Jesus worked for 33 years okay you ever take a little bit? I'm, I'm not sure about the exact date, but anyway, you know, we know Christmas. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, uh, but, but you know, Jesus gets on the cross and he says, "It's finished. It's finished. My work is done." But I'm sending the Holy Spirit, who's going to work in you the rest of your lives. Who's going to work in you the rest of your lives to produce God's glory? That's pretty cool. Okay? He didn't finish his work with you at baptism. He didn't finish his work with you when you decided he was king. He finished his work in you? No, he's not. He is still working on you. He's not finished. Okay? And look at that little contradictory statement there. Make every effort to enter rest. What does that mean? Be intentional. Be intentional. My grandfather worked hard, but I can tell you he also rested hard. He took time, you know? There were times when others were over here chugging along doing stuff, and my grandfather was sitting down sharpening his tools. There was time when my grandfather learned to retreat from the work and to rest from the work and to sit down and eat. It was usually after dark, before it got light. That he worked hard. So make every effort. We are intentional about this rest. There are times when the world hits me with all of those anxiety things. That make me uncomfortable and make me feel helpless and overwhelmed and depressed, disrespected, offended, and all those other things. There's time when the world hits me with those things. And I have to go, wait, I'm a child of God. God's got this. God's going to win here. Okay. There have been a couple of times, by the way, in my life when my, when my boss has actually, a, a couple of different bosses have said, Hmm, you're not like the other workers I have here. You're different than everybody else. Why are you different than these other workers? I remember I worked with this fellow that would come in and he would party all night and he would come into work. I was just working at a restaurant, his summer job, and uh, working at a restaurant and uh, this guy would come in and he would get a cup of strong coffee and then he would take four 
instant coffee packs and tear them open and pour it in there and eight packages of sugar this is before monster energy drinks and such okay he made his own okay and he swigs that down and then goes for another okay this is how he starts every day guess what i start different than that <laughs> I work different than that. My, you know, that boss said to me, he said, why do you? Why are you different than the other people? I said, oh, it's easy. He said, can you tell me why you're different than these other people I have working here? I said, sure. I don't work for you. I work for God. Every day I come to work, I'm working for God. So when I have to bust a table, I don't just say, Ian, that's good enough. I want to clean it right because that is my work for God. The Amish, the Mennonites, they've got that right, folks. They've got that right. Everything you do is a work for God. The way you prepare for a test is a work for God. The way you treat your a child that you're babysitting or the way that you treat your older family members with respect, even when you disagree, that's a work for God. Okay? Make every effort. Be intentional about those things. When you're intentional about those things, when you're busting tables, when you're studying for a test, whatever it is you're doing, be intentional to make sure that you realize, this is my joy. I get to do this. This is not to please God. This is not to earn my favor with God. This is because I'm a child of God. That's who I am. Okay. Psalm 51. This is a... Okay, yeah. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, God. According to oh, 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 just a I just want you to say, look at that picture. That picture may not mean anything to you. But what I see is, I see myself in a jail cell, and I can see the walls, and I can see the bars, and I can see the beauty of the earth beyond the bars. And I'm trapped in there. But it's got a hole in it, doesn't it? It's got a hole in those bars. And I can see through those bars. I think sometimes that's the way that's the way we view our burdens. That's the way we view our lives. Okay? Let's hear how David expresses this. And he expresses how we feel trapped in a prison in this first slide, and then we'll get to the freedom in the second slide. Let's hear, let's hear the first slide. Thank you, Leah. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Take away my sins according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. I've committed evil in your sight. That's why you are justified when you render your verdict completely correct when you issue your judgment. I was born in guilt and sin from the moment my mother conceived me. And yes, you want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with the passage, this is traditionally accepted as the, a psalm that David writes right after he's caught in his sin with Bathsheba. Okay? Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to what he says here. What does he say about himself? Does he say, I'm innocent, or I, I need to, to work to, to prove myself to God? What, how, does he, how, does he, how does he address his own sin? Pick out something here. 
It's right in front of him all the time. My sins are always in front of me, folks. God may have put them in the depths of the sea, but my mind has still got them up here. Okay? That's a problem. That's a problem. And David struggles with that. And we struggle with that. Okay? Let's keep let's keep going. How what else? What else do we see about his sin here? He was born in it. What's that? He was born in it and born in it. He was born in it. This is the way I was born. You hear that? I don't know if it's Lady Gaga or who, but you know, people are saying, you know, I was made this way. I was made this way. Well, guess what? I was made to like a bunch of things that aren't good for me. Okay, we just talked about maybe some uh, overdoing at Thanksgiving. Okay, it's not that those things were bad. The yeast rolls were wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. You know, but I feel myself not being able to stop eating my mother-in-law's yeast rolls. And I'm like, wait, I'm a human. I'm a child of God, not an animal. I can resist these yeast rolls. You know? After about the seventh one, I was able to convince myself. Just two more. Uh, anyway, what else do we see about his sin here? I think he knows the like the severity of it. Yes. He understands that his sin was a spit in God's face. Right. So he's confronted his sin. How does he say anything at all about how to fix that in these verses? We'll see some more in the next part of the chapter. But in these verses, what does he say about how that's fixed? God's mercy. He knows God is compassionate. He knows. He calls on God's compassion. What else? He just asks him to, to cleanse him and wash it away. He, he can't do anything about it. That's right. I cannot wash my sin away. You can't wash your sin away. You can't do enough good things. You spit in God's face. You took the king of the universe and you said, I want my own pleasures over your will in my life, Lord. You know, you just spit on him. His son died on the cross. And you said, yeah, I still want this. I know Jesus died to give me freedom, but I still want this. Okay? That's, that's God's son. That's God's Son's blood. That is God Himself on the cross pouring Himself out for you as a drink offering. And we're like dancing on top of it saying, out my way, out my way, God didn't punish me today. I got to sin. I got by with it. Okay? There's no way you can cleanse yourself from that. None whatsoever. Okay? Who's going to clean us from our guilt? God. Only God. Purify me from my sin. Let's see some of the freedom that he receives when he goes to God in this confessional kind of way. Okay. Let somebody continue here. Purify me with Joseph and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be watered in snow. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed and joints once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God, and a new 
and faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away. Return the joy of salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers and they will reprove you. Deliver me from violence, God of my salvation, so my tongue can sing to your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, I had to draw a little uh, red slash through there. And again, there's some of my artwork there. Um, uh, this is an atheistic uh, campaign that started over in England a few years ago. It says there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. Okay? Probably just a very convincing. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this odd that the atheists said there's probably not a God? Okay? They're not even sure that there's not a God. Okay? But what they're saying is. You should stop worrying about sin and just live your life and enjoy it. I have seen people. I had a, I had a neighbor. I had a neighbor that uh, uh, for a short time, it was, it was the same time, uh, it's that summer that I was working at that restaurant. I had this neighbor. That I was out washing my car. It was summertime. I washed my car. I, I liked my car a lot. Okay, so I'm washing it like every two days or three days. <laughs> My male neighbor would bring a chair out on the porch and watch me wash my car. Thought that was a little creepy. So, <laughs> male or female, I thought it was creepy. But anyway, it was a male. Well, one day I'm at church and a friend of mine says, "Oh, I saw your neighbor today." I'm going like, "What? My neighbor? Yeah, yeah." And and he says about this guy, his boyfriend had taken a hatchet to him. Chopped him up. They put over a, they put hundreds of stitches in his head, over a thousand stitches in his body. His mother found him in a pool of blood, tied up with clothes hanger wire. He lived, okay, in the closet in a pool of blood. Hate to be so graphic, but I want you to hear that this is somebody who says, I can do whatever I want to. I can be with whoever I want to. This is what makes me happy. And that's what his boyfriend said too. Okay? I just want you to hear that the things, the choices that we make, God knows are not good for us. And until we have the Spirit of Jesus helping us make those choices, until we have the Spirit of Jesus, we will always make choices that are destructive for us. Always. I will always do things that are bad for me. I'll always choose that 12th East Road or whatever. Deliver me from violence, God of my salvation, so my tongue can sing of your righteousness. Open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. That's what you're here for, folks. That's what the man with the clothes hanger wire needs to hear from his neighbor, Nick. Okay? That's, you know, he needs, he needs to hear the goodness of God. He needs to hear the love. He needs to hear how God cares about him. He needs to hear how God is aware of his sin and is willing to wash him clean. Wash me and be whiter than snow. That way joy and celebration can be heard. Okay? Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Deep inside me. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what David was longing for. 
okay? Here's the journey that we've gone on this semester, okay? We began, we're going from labor to rest. We begin with faith. Faith, we said, was being sure of spiritual truths from the Word of God. We know those truths. <coughs> we know those truths. We can act on those truths, even when they don't seem real to us. Even when they don't. Okay, that's what faith is. We come to realize that we've got some things in Christ. We come to realize we're children of God and we've got this huge inheritance that God's got in store for you. God's got tools for you. In the Word of God, He prepares us for this new life in Christ, for this change, this transformation. Okay? We realize what is ours and we begin to appropriate it. We begin to act like I'm a child of God instead of acting like I'm a child of the earth who believes in God. We realize who we are in Christ. And we begin to appropriate the things. <coughs> it was a long time before I realized that as a human that, you know, that I could appropriate things that belong to my family. That I don't mean steal them. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, that there were things my dad, my dad, uh, I drove a 57 Chevy when I first got my license. My dad said, here's a 57 Chevy. You can drive it as long as you want to till you save up enough money to get your own car. Drive as long as you want to. Okay? That's appropriation. I didn't have to earn that. I did nothing to earn that. Okay? So... Uh, we reckon ourselves dead to sin. We count ourselves dead to sin. It doesn't feel like it sometimes. doesn't feel like I'm dead to sin. It feels like sin lives in me. But we saw scriptures in Romans 6 and 7 that said this is true. If God's word is true, then that's true. So I need to count on it. I need to stop trying to figure out how that you know, oh, maybe maybe I'm dead to sin. No, I'm dead to sin. I'm crucified. Nick Horton was crucified with Christ. We rely on our position and our peace with God because of Jesus. Not because of our own works, but because of Jesus. Because of what he did. And then we crucify self daily as we follow Jesus. We allow his spirit to live in us. So now I'm treating my neighbors, I'm treating my co-workers, I'm treating, in my case, my students at school, your classmates, your co-workers, whoever, you're treating family members as if Jesus were dealing with those people. The homeless people that you encounter, the random person at Walmart in various stages of undress, okay? You treat them like Jesus would treat them. Okay? We enter the rest God is prepared for those of us that trust Him. Then we can truly rest. We rest from our own labor, just like God rested from His. You've been working yourself silly trying to please God, but the great news, great news from the Bible is, God's already pleased with you. God's already pleased with you. He loves you, and He's prepared a rest for you to really enjoy, a feast to sit down at his table, a home that 
Jesus has prepared a room for you. Over and over and over again, you have been led to still waters, green grass, green pastures, and a God who's got his staff in his hand to protect you against evil. Let's pray to God. Father of God, I thank you for taking us on this journey this semester, Lord. Thank you for taking us on this journey our whole lives. The fact that you're not done with us yet is such a relief to us, Lord. We look forward to the full completion of that in the resurrection. We ask, Lord, that you bring that about quickly with justice and with mercy. Help us, Lord, to share what we've learned, to share what we've experienced in you and in Jesus, to share your spirit, Lord, that is within us, with all those around us. Help us disciple others. Help us to be disciples of faith, Lord. Faith in Jesus, your Son, and in your power. It is through Jesus Christ we pray that you walk with us on this journey that you prepared us for. Amen. Go with God.